Hey everybody, it's Connor from the Hoopercast. It's Tuesday night and I'm feeling all right. I'm here to give you a couple of uh, film news stories or TV news stories that you might have missed or might not be aware of or might want my opinion on. It really depends on why you're here in the first place. So don't know why you're here, but whatever reason you're here, I hope you find what you're looking for. So what I've got for you tonight is... um. Uh, here's the story that you are less likely to hear of from me or less, less expecting to hear from me. So I'll leave with that one first. This is a New York times article that I saw on the, on the internet today. Um, it is, uh, written by Alexandra Alter and John Coblin, uh, sort of like Goblin, but Coblin. And it's titled late night TV hosts give publicity starved novelists the star treatment. So this is pretty much about how like what I just said, people like Seth Myers and Trevor Noah, um, two people who I prefer not to hear speak most of the time, um, are doing a really good thing and featuring novelists and lesser known novelists. For those of you who don't know, that's people who write books um, on their shows, on their national platform uh, to be interviewed, to talk to them about their book, their voice, their opinions, um, and give them some much needed publicity. Starts off by talking about um, a novelist named Rebecca Mackay was preparing for the usual string of interviews with radio stations and podcasts this year for her latest book, The Great Believers. But then she got a call from her publicist who told her to get ready for a more prominent appearance on NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers. The biggest thing I'd done before that in terms of TV was a local morning show in Dayton, Ohio, Miss Mackay said. Mr. Myers has made it something of a habit to invite novelists onto his program, which averages 1.5 million viewers. In his nearly five years as host of Late Night, he has brought on a dozen, a few dozen literary writers, many of them far from household names. Mr. Myers said, as much as I love having Stephen King or Jonathan Franzen or George Saunders, we also saw it as an opportunity to have diverse writers and writers who are publishing their first or second novel, because this will probably mean more for them than people who are already established. So that's a good thing. Um, it's huge. It really is huge. Imagine, because being a novelist is, is hard work. It's lots of weeks, months, years into writing something. And most of the time, no one knows what you look like. Even now, with, with all this internet and TV coverage, like it's still like, oh, who, what, what's Dean Koontz look like? I don't know. You might be listening going, who the hell's Dean Koontz? I, I really, I don't even know. I've never read Dean Koontz. I just know his name. What does he look like? You got me. Could I name a single one of his books? Nope. This is the paradox of Dean Koontz for me. Um, so, uh, it goes on to talk about morning shows have largely tilted toward lifestyle and diet books, celebrity memoirs, um, you know, maybe cooking segments, stuff like that. Um, occasional appearances by popular authors. Um, uh, let's see. Um, late night looked particularly barren after Jon Stewart, a champion of serious nonfiction, left The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert and did The Colbert Report, another reliable outlet for publishers. Mr. Colbert, who now hosts the most watched show in all of late night on CBS, has mostly left non-celebrity authors behind. And other author-friendly TV hosts, Charlie Rose and Tavis Smiley, were ousted in sexual misconduct scandals. Um, you know, Oprah's off the air. Oprah did that a lot. The cumulative effect of those losses and the growing fragmentation of the media landscape have made it harder for publishers and authors who drive readers to a book with a well-paced TV appearance. Even when authors do land one of the coveted spots, 
The sales boost isn't what it used to be, in part because viewers have turned from network and cable television to streaming services and social media. Still, apart from an in-depth interview on NPR's Fresh Air or a major literary award, few things can drive instant sales as dramatically as a television appearance. Um, so, even now, with more competition in the network landscape for late night, that's still a million people on average, who now know your name, know your face, and know your newest book, and who are probably starred for good good fiction and good nonfiction. People, the, the article goes on to point out that um, with today's politically obsessed media landscape, you tend to only hear about authors whose books are sort of driving the news cycle. And personally, I'm sick of the news cycle. I really am. That's why I do these little daily hits because I'd rather talk, if we're going to talk about news every damn day, I'd rather talk about film news every day instead of <laughs> quote unquote real news. I like talking about industry news and film and, and what I think of it. Here I am talking to really nobody right now, but hopefully you're listening later. Um, what the heck is this? Nope. Um, so it talks about how Trevor Noah is doing the same thing. He wants, um, he his, he's, he wants to get writers on who have, have not been really given the chance to address um, a wide television audience before. Um, he says, I've tried to build upon the legacy I've inherited from Jon Stewart by trying to find more diverse voices and trying to find more writers who may not be the best selling writers who are already interviewing. Um, so that's really good. Um, and uh, let's see this, this guy, Jason Reynolds, a young adult novelist said of his appearance on the daily show in January, it still has a residual impact. He's trying to give you the opportunity to sell the thing that you make and really double down on why the thing you make is a necessity for the country right now. Um, so anyway, look, it's a good article. Go read it. Um, and then go read a book, maybe by one of these authors. Um, uh, I've been trying to get more into reading lately. And I've been pretty successful at it. I've probably read one or two books a month. Um, that's up from zero books a year. I couldn't read anything to save my life. And I just decided I wanted to make it a priority in my life and I would make time to do it. And I have done it. Um, I recently read both the Bobby Bones books. Um, I've got uh, this book by a guy named Brian Bishop, who's uh, who's uh, the sidekick on the Adam Carolla show about his tumor and what it taught him about life and how he got through it and all that stuff. It's called Shrinkage. Um, there's a number of my own books, one of which Life Animated is a book that I just that I own and I just read. Dustin and I are going to talk about on the show probably tomorrow night on the big show. Um, and it, it, it really reminds me of why I loved it in the first place. And, and as an adult, I can appreciate the chemical effect happening to my brain that's totally different from watching uh, even movies and TV that I like. It's a whole different feeling in my brain, and it's a definitely different feeling from hearing the news cycle. Um, there's something that radio and books do to your brain when you're just when you all you're doing is hearing the words or reading the words, but you're not having the image fed to you. I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's sort of like, it just, it exercises a muscle that you forgot was there. And, and, and for me, it really is a calming thing. I've been way too busy in the past month or two to read at night, but I did for a while there. And that was really, really, really great. I just sat in my living room for like an hour in the quiet red. The only noise was the sound of my, of my dishwasher or my screaming son. <laughs> um, 
So this is a great thing and it's good. And I, I hope that people get back into books um, heavy and get away from this 24 hour news cycle because it's not doing anything except stirring the pot, making people pissed off. And meanwhile, you could read a book, learn something, and then talk to somebody about something else that's going on. Like, hey, I read this book lately. You know what was in it? And you read the thing cover to cover. So you know some stuff now. It's great. People talk about, oh, you can just Google it. It's, it's not that simple or as fulfilling. The other article that I thought that um, would be interesting, um, you know, just for me at least, um, is on IndieWire.com by David Ehrlich. And this is, of course, something that I've been pointing out for weeks, almost daily now. The title is Superhero Movies Are Taking Over the Oscars, and that's good news for everyone. This is a long article. I'm definitely not reading all of this to you verbatim for sure. But it's pointing out how, you know, recently we've gotten some some awards uh, buzz and some, you know, early nominations for for um, for uh, what's it for for comic book movies. So this year, superhero films will storm the red carpet like never before. When the nominations are announced January 23rd, the movie business's Mason-Dixon line between middlebrow and lowbrow will be smudged beyond recognition, precipitating a new Oscar era that's defined by a single all-encompassing unibrow. For better or worse, awards prognosticators will allow will now have to watch Joaquin Phoenix's performance in Joker with an eye toward the best actor race and view the likely success of Captain Marvel as a prelude to a legitimate campaign nine months later. For better or worse, studios and filmmakers will now have to conceive these films in a more critical light with the understanding that appeasing the fans is no longer the only metric that matters. And while this critic maintains that Marvel titles and their ilk remain less skewed toward art than commerce, it's still possible to see how this imminent paradigm shift, which on the surface could seem like a sign of the apocalypse, might actually be for the better and not the worse. So he goes into, you know, his reasoning for all this. Um, The incursion of superhero movies on Hollywood's last remaining artistic stronghold is hard to spin as a good thing, no, it isn't. But the fact of the matter in these things aren't going anywhere. Despite the hype sources confirmed that Avengers Endgame is not, in fact, going to be the last superhero movie. It's not even going to be the last superhero movie of next summer. Indeed, it's not even going to be the last superhero movie of next summer that stars Tom Holland as Spider-Man. There's no use for the waiting for the genre to go away. So he seems a little bit pessimistic of it, but still positive. Um, read the article to find out how exactly that is. Um he goes on to say, raising the ceiling on what's possible for superhero movies will not only force their creators to aim higher, risk failure, and strive to be something more than well-compensated popcorn salesmen. It will justifiably reward the makers of bold, proud, fair like Black Panther and Into the Spider-Verse for expanding the medium at a time when most people are eulogizing it and bringing new audiences into the fold at a time when theaters desperately need to be reaffirmed as a place where people of all kinds can huddle into the darkness and imagine a better world together. And this sort of goes into what I was talking about last night's on last night's Daily Show about how the 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 most broad and obvious utility of these movies is that they show people how the world how human beings what human beings are capable of being how we're capable of treating each other um with with respect and love and heroism and kindness and courage and it's really not that hard to do that and um you know these films are allegories for what we all have within us to be that's why I love these films. I'll say it over and over again. I'll say it on every damn show that we do. I love superhero and comic book films because that's what they do for me. And they're deeply moving to me personally. You know, the parts that are deeply moving. Like I don't watch, I obviously don't watch Ang Lee's Hulk and like, you know, cry. Some people do. Like I, you know, the trailer for Endgame came out and that opening monologue 
with Tony Stark talking about the fact that he's going to be dead the next day because he's out of food, water, and soon oxygen and how hopeless that is. And it wasn't just me. I watched a ton of trailer reactions about that afterwards. And there were people sobbing before the thing, before the trailer even really gets going because this character who's very real and very fleshed out to them, who they love and they root for and who inspires them is at his lowest point. And how heartbreaking that is to, for them to see him like that. This is in a trailer, you guys. This isn't even in the film. So already Robert Downey Jr. and the sound designer and everyone who made the, who was you know, involved in, in what the image that's on that trailer in 20 seconds have already made people cry. And this isn't just like, oh, fanboys. What This is like, this is genuine. I think that's powerful. And I think that the stigma around superheroes, if it isn't already gone, it's gone soon. People are going to recognize what these films are. People like me will finally get to share. I mean, I've been showing these movies to my mom over the past like year and change because I want to share with people. No, this, this isn't, this is more than what you think it is. There's a lot more here. And I can't wait to share them with my kids, you know, when they're old enough. Uh, it, it, I, yeah, I love the Marvel films. I love these superhero films and I hope DC catches up, makes some good stuff. I, I saw an early headline for, um, Aquaman that, that was less promising than the trailers. It led me to believe, but, um, we'll, we'll see when, when most people, when people start seeing it anyways. Um, I hope that some comic book movies get nominated for some Oscars for the right reasons. I hope they win you know, for the right reasons. And I hope that people keep making them good for the right reasons. Catch us um, later in the week for the Hoopercast movie hour. That's it for this daily show. I'm Connor. Have a good night. See you later. Drive safe. Have a good day.